two misguided coaches, one formidable goal. This is the Centre Pass Podcast. Well, welcome back to the Centre Pass Podcast, episode six. We're starting to get through a few now, aren't we, mate? Yeah, man, that's exactly right. Number six, a dirty half dozen. Mate, they're starting to come together nicely now. Yeah, and look, I'm really excited for this week's episode. We've gone sort of up the chain in New Zealand netball, and it, it was really exciting episode with this guest we have on a bit later. Before we go into that, though, we've got our Dear Diary segment. So this is the segment for our new listeners. This is the segment where we talk about something we've learned through the last couple of weeks or week, depending on you know how quickly we release. And this week, we want to talk about how much that goes on behind the scenes mm-hmm. to make a club run. So we've just gone through trials in the last two to three weeks, mate. We've been on the edges, helping out, but you know we have certainly been far off the workload that some other people have done in our in our club, haven't we? Big time. You're you're exactly right. I think about just the level. So you know you'll hear a bit in trials when we talk about it a bit later on. But the the number of hours that we've put in as coaches in this space and cam is is bang on you know we are scratching the surface when it comes to the level of work that has gone on behind the scenes from the likes of you know andrea driscoll uh, from bridget thayer uh, all of these high level people within the uh, within the club and and you're right it, it, without them there's no club is there yeah and that's you know that's what we've been really trying to get to with this you know the whole podcast is Community volunteers are vital for, you know, making club sport and community sport run. I mean, there's things like they invited us over and we had meetings at, you know, their house and they provided pizza, which often doesn't come from a club budget. It often comes from the back pocket of one of the committee members. I'm scared that we might have we might have made Andrea bankrupt with how much pizza that they ordered for us, actually. Yeah, I heard that because we didn't make the first two meetings because we were Zoomed in. We had to provide our own pizza on those occasions, but I heard they had to double the pizza order for us. Yeah, pretty embarrassing. Pretty embarrassing, really, but hey, you're right, though. When it comes to budgets, when it comes to community grant funding and how much tighter that's becoming... The money and the resources have got to come from somewhere and unfortunately a lot of the time it's coming from the volunteers and stalwarts own back pockets and they're not getting you know some of the clubs don't have enough money to backfill that so again another illustration of the value that these volunteers bring um, often uh, to keep these clubs afloat Ken. yeah so we'd like to say one more big thank you to all club volunteers out there but also to our club committee who have, you know, one, allowed us to do this journey, but, you know, have supported us through it as well. And I'd like to point out the one last thing about that, the vitalness of community volunteers, because obviously we know that community sport disappears without them. Mm. But there's a lot of things that go into that, you know, when we lose that, you know, community sport is very vital for providing a healthy population. And the other thing is, a community sense of togetherness really especially in small towns of new zealand community mm. sports is vital to how the town runs as well yeah, you look at invercargill and, and how much of that fabric is the southern steel and how much they get behind the team uh and any and, and south and stags as well sport really for those communities is about uniting everybody and, and giving everyone something to to cheer on All right so that's this week's dear diary wrapped up in the can today we've learned that a lot that goes on in the background so we've talked about it a little bit here and with trials and so you know soon a little bit later in the episode we're going to go into that a little bit more talk about the serious shift that goes on to do that and 
you know, even some from the field footage. But before that, we have our awesome guest. So this week, we're speaking to Dame Nolene. Man, unbelievable way. I think just to have even have thought we'd get an opportunity to speak with Dame Nolene, I'm not going to lie, mate, I thought it was going to be pretty tough to get this. <laughs> yeah, and I think one thing that I've seen from the community netball side of things is everyone's so open and so welcoming, like the brought us in so well like you know Raina's invited to us us to a training you know we got to speak to Dame Nolene like <laughs> she's the biggest fish in New Zealand netball especially in the coaching world and we've got to have a you know two-on-one chat with her and it, it was it was really eye-opening because she taught me a few things that I thought were you know I understood and she gave me a completely different perspective on certain things in community sport and coaching and stuff like that. Yeah, I think you're right, man. I've learned so much from her thinking about things like how she dealt with not getting the Silver Ferns job. What did she do? She went to Australia and created the most successful Australian franchise from as a startup. Incredible story. She's also talking a little bit about how Māori netball shapes uh, or the future of Māori netball and the strategic operations that are needed. And then also a little bit about Tao Māori in her culture. Fascinating stuff. Yeah, it certainly was. You often don't hear the story of, you know, the coach who who never gave up. You hear the story of the athlete who never gave up. Her story is awesome. Before we go there, I want to well, I want to apologize for a little bit of audio misclarity during uh the interview. It was about two or three times for about 10 seconds where you can hear me breathing in the background in the mic. I was recovering from being unwell. So make sure you listen through the whole interview. Don't get pulled off by that audio. It's only a very brief period of time for about two to maybe three occasions. So do listen. And so I don't want to hold back anymore. Without further ado, Dame Nolene. You're listening to the Centre Pass Podcast. National Bank Cups, an ANZ Championship, Super Netball, the Fast Five World Cup, and of course, the Netball World Cup as well. Dame Nolene Todua's coaching career has been filled with accolades and awards. From starting as an assistant coach to Ruth Aitken back in 2011, to a unique journey that's helped her break the coaching mould here in New Zealand. Dame Nolene's impact on the sport here is massive. And while the glittering of the accolades continue to shine, behind the scenes there have been some hard work. It's a real honour and a privilege for us today to be speaking to the one, the only, Dame Nolene Taurua. No my haere mai, welcome to the podcast. Oh, kia ora. Thank you for that intro and lovely to, to be here. So good to, so good to have you, Noles. You know, you're a very, I guess, aspirational coach, always have been. And, and obviously it's been well documented, your journey on coaching journey towards the Silver Ferns head coach role has, has been, had some highs, it's had some lows. I wanted to sort of talk about the missing out, I guess, firstly on the Silver Ferns coach job initially and, and how you dealt with the disappointment when I guess you have an eye on things, but sometimes they don't sort of go your way. How do you sort of deal with that? Yeah, I suppose I'm not like, or I am similar to everybody else who, you know, who do miss out on a job and sort of when you, um, you know, you know that, that that one is your one at that moment of time and you do miss, I think uh, obviously there's a lot of emotions that go around it and, and probably a lot of reflections. And I, I knew what I was, how I was going to tackle, I suppose, that interview, so and definitely wasn't going to take it lightly and definitely going in with all eyes open in regards to being really brutally honest 
So I was really proud about myself, I suppose, to take that that way, but also know that at the end of it, uh, and I'm really respectful of the process that you either fit with what they want or you don't. And I think out of that, um, you know, some really amazing things happened for me, uh, not getting that job. And sometimes, you know, if you're a spiritual sort of person, then you think, hey, maybe it's supposed to be. So um, I think the biggest steps for me coming out of missing out was really reflecting on myself. What are the things that I, I know about my strengths and where the weaknesses, so to speak, the areas that I could improve on and probably more looking around the people that I want to be involved with and also the strategy. So, I mean, that was deep and meaningful and, and really took me a wee while to get to that space. And some, you know, some shining lights came out of that where I was asked to coach uh, down in Invercargill with the Mighty Steel. And Steel Invercargill would have been the last place on earth that I would have thought I would have gone to. (laughs) But it was amazing. Like the people were so good. The community, it, it really gave me a sense of belonging going back there or going down to there. And, you know, off that, it's off that time, then I got asked to go and coach over in Australia and to set up a newly formed um, organization, basically, and be part of that team and being a lot amongst the likes of Melbourne Storm. And for me, not not a little old Kiwi, but, you know, just starting afresh, I feel, and, and sort of paving new ways in regards to netball coaches. Being amongst uh, Melbourne Storm was massive for me, great learning once again and also being based in one place actually helped my family so there were so many positive things that came out of that experience and hallelujah you know who who would have thought you know two or three years later after that then then here I am and and in the job so you know I think one of the biggest things that I was really happy about myself was I never let my mouth go Sometimes I get a bit mouthy, you know, when things don't <laughs> go my way. And and I I hope I remained quite graceful in not getting the job and moved on. So that that became a bonus, I think, where I wasn't shut out for for the job in another round. And and that's how life sometimes pans out. Mm, I guess it's a little bit like the the old thing around, you know, mana is shown not by how you deal with victory, but how you deal with disappointment and, and defeat, isn't it? So I guess, yeah, talking about your time in Australia, you know, at Sunshine Coast Lightning, I think is probably one of the most, if not the most successful startup franchises mm. in netball and, and a lot of sports, really. So what's the biggest thing that you can take away from that time there? What's the biggest thing you've learnt in your time in Australia that I guess you've taken on to the rest of your coaching career, but also just as a person as well? Yeah, there were probably a few things. One was the confidence around myself, how I coach. Not that it was insular, but to go over there and and coach the Aussies uh, who are very specific about their pathways, about, I suppose, what resonates with them and their style. Within our team, we had a South African lady from Uganda as well, and also England and Uh, had been the England captain for a few years. So you're coaching uh, different people with different 
cultural backgrounds and, and values. So bringing that together, I think, was probably one of my strengths where I was working with people, not necessarily players, but people who were good players. So I learned a lot about myself and just really confident about what I know and how I do things and, and really backing myself. Because going into a new organization, we didn't have anything. You know, we didn't have our office. We didn't have people. I was the first one for the first six weeks. And then our CEO came on for the second six weeks after then. So we were contracting in the first six weeks. We didn't have balls. We didn't have uniforms. We didn't have anything. So what I had to actually do was talk about myself, and mm. talk, which is really, really hard. I had to sell myself, which was really, really hard and be quite strategic with the players as to how I feel I could add to their game. And some of those things about talking about yourself doesn't come naturally. So, you know, it really ended up coming back because we didn't have any, as I say, um, no offices or courts and we were still working that through. And that took us six months to get to the start of the competition. So it was really purely about people, you know, going back to the good old days about people, about the relationships, about communication, really getting back to the substance, I think, of what good coaching is about and the foundations. And once again, that helped me that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't all about having all these gyms or anything like that. It's how you could connect with the person and we're all on the same journey. So some of those values or some of those things that really resonated with me before going over to Oz actually cemented it in me and I became more confident in how I do things and, and my way. Um, so I brought that back, I suppose, into the Silver Ferns coming out of the Commonwealth Games and really dug deep or at another layer as to us as people and, and what are our strengths and what do we need to hang our hat on. That sounds like some really important stuff there. You've spoken about the importance of, of team culture and building that team culture up. Uh, obviously, you had the pure netball campaign going into the World Cup. How do we as coaches help sort of build team culture and how much of that sort of happens on court versus off court as well? Yeah, look, um, there's a lot that's talked about culture and I mean, I'm in the same boat. I, I found it really hard to understand what culture means, even though sort of I'm, uh, you know, Ngāpuhi and you think you sort of know, but you don't know because everybody that you talk to, there's so many different things where it's really worked for them. And then there's other teams that doesn't work, but there's so many variables when we think about culture. So sort of putting it into my, my thinking or a bit of a framework has helped me once again so I can tick off the different boxes but if I can explain it like this as is sort of like a team is you know like you have a house and mm -hmm. and the house is a reflection of the people who live in the house so the house is built off if you think of Mason uh, Professor Mason Jury's Hefata mm -hmm. um, sort of concept, concept. you've got actions, you've got behaviours, you've got beliefs, you've got values, you've got history, all those sort of things that, that the house is made up of. And the people within the house have got to decide as to what do you want your house to be? You know, like, you do you take your shoes off every time that you go into your house? Or do you welcome people when they come into your house? 
you know, like those little things that make a difference, you know, like when somebody new comes in and the silver ferns get up, say hello to them. You know, you don't snob them, you say hello, you welcome them in, you feed them, you uffy them, you know, all those little things that are about people that open up your environment, that you show that you care and that and that you belong to, to this particular house. So when we're talking about that, you've got the off-court stuff, but also the on-court stuff could be, say, for example, time management. You know, we make sure that we get to our house at nine o'clock uh, to have breakfast, you know, or, or uh, we make sure that we look beautiful or we tie up our hair because that's what our house, that's what we agree in our house. That's our house rules. You know, there's so many things around culture, whether it's on court or off court, actions and behaviours that dictate the influence of the house. And the, and the people within the house, it's the house doesn't fit the people. The people dictate what the house needs to be. You know, so people come in and out and every year people change and their values change. So the house cannot be stagnant with the rules. The house has to adapt and organically grow with the people that live in there. And that's probably the hardest thing. I've seen a lot of times we have values up on the wall and it's cemented there and there's not enough work that's done between connecting the values to the people. Um, mm. and, and it's such a, I suppose, it's such a hard thing to do because you're always working it. You always got to live in the house. People change and, and those dynamics around people change. But if you can get to those little things that you can all agree on, and it's not necessarily the compliance, but if I lived in this house, oh my gosh, you know, like, what would I want this house to be? What would I want to show people when I take the court? Who am I? Who are we? We want people who want to belong. You know, all these massive big questions can be answered in a culture that you create. And I think that's the aspirational side to, to a team, irrelevant of whether you win or lose, that you belong to that house. This is my uniform and I'm, I'm in there with pride. And that's the, other, that's the stuff that I love. Because at the end, with us, we will either win or lose. But I'm really, what do you call it, really strong that it doesn't define us. It doesn't define us as, a, as an individual or a team. We will win or lose, but man, we're going to give it a good crack and we're going to give it the best that we can. And if that's all that we're, it is at the end of the day, well, so be it. I think that's a, I think it's a really strong message for us, but it's also a really strong message for the players as well, isn't it? Because a lot of the players, given that we are with a club in a senior one sort of setup, a lot of these players have come down to the Dunedin for university. You know, they're 18 to 21 you know, they're at a very critical stage of their own development outside of netball, aren't they, in terms of personal identity, things like mm. that. So I guess that's where even more so Te Whare Tapafa plays a really important role for their own personal development as much as it is for their sporting development as well. Yeah, that's right. I mean, in the day, you know, like, um, you know, sport was so much of a, a solid foundation for many communities. 
and Otago, you know, I mean, I've always played against Targo, Otago coming through and the strength of that community when they are bandied together is amazing. You know, there's so many things, no, whether it's women or whatever, the, the intrinsic motivation, but also that, that ihi and that wihi that comes when, when you're tight but also the tightness around it doesn't mean, you know, and I mean, this is always a, a big thing, I think, for us as women sometimes where you have love and you have tough love, you know, and it's the same. They're so influential at certain times. You're not going to let your kid run across the road and say, I love you. You know, like <laughs> you're going to say, hey, don't cross over the road. One, you're either going to get run over or, that, you know, there's so many things off one action but if we don't say something to somebody or we don't tell something they never learn you know it's the same when you come into the house sometimes it's all right to say somebody take off your shoes or best still this is what you do when you come to our house you know so they don't get embarrassed and those sort of things and I think it's so powerful because it, you touch you touch the heart of people you know, and I, I think that's really what it's all about. And, you know, it's it's not that you lose and all the rest of it, even though that's my KPIs, but it, it makes it bigger. And I, I think that's really in these times, especially that's what people want. Yeah. One of the things that we were wondering is, do you look for certain traits and players that help drive team culture or do you have to enable some of this when it comes to certain people? Although some people just drive it themselves. Yeah, I mean, there's always people that have their good, uh, their own way and their flavour. And um, I, I suppose what I look for is, is really looking for the best. So the best person that can do their own job, that's probably my first thing. And then I always look at their character and their personality. You know, if somebody can play the guitar, geez, that's, that's the bomb, you know, like everybody can do something. I feel like I'm preaching at the moment, but it's so true. Everybody can do something and there's always a strength of somebody. It's just how you see it, how you can bring it in and mix it into the dynamic of the house that you want to form. It's best sometimes when you give somebody else the job, when you know that that's their flavor and that's what they do well. Because then as a coach, you don't have to keep saying, take off your shoes, do this, do this. Somebody else will pick that up. And it's better when it's messaged amongst the peers. So I sort of, I look for the best who can do their job. And then I look for how it all combines together. Usually those traits or the personalities, the character of the person. And then I look for people who are willing to be, um, who are open to learn. That's usually a big thing as well that, you know, that we, we all need to learn how we're we going to learn to be better and we're all willing to share. So that's probably a big thing in our house is that, you know, like if there's a bag there, we all pick it up. But sometimes, once again, people need to learn how to do that because you come from different houses. So those are probably the main things that I look for. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I've got one more question, actually. Knowles, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a curly one, but I think it's always you know any opportunity to raise it is really important. When it comes to, I think we're seeing a lot within, and this is probably not just in, in netball or sport, but across New Zealand now, there's a lot more of a drive to increase awareness of tikanga Maori, te reo Maori, and, and things like this. What sort of things do you think netball can do, maybe to encourage more Maori into 
not just playing netball or sport, but coaching sport as well? Yeah, I mean, it's always a good question. Once again, I've been sort of in the rounds of different organisations that are asking that same question, not only in, within netball, but also rugby at the time that I was sort of um, with this particular group. You know, I think there's always a long way to go, but I mean, I know with us in ANZ and also the Silver Ferns, and when I look at the top echelon of head coaches at the moment, I think out of seven, there's five that are Māori head coaches, you know, so seven are paid uh, professional within New Zealand and five are Māori. And when you start in that way, automatically there's a, I suppose, as to how things are dealt with a, a wee bit different, but also when you look at the makeup of a lot of teams within the ANZ and the Silver Ferns, we've got a good distribution of Māori within those teams. So I think to some respect, and it's probably the same with netball, where um, we're so strong in, in Māori communities that the ones who are holding up the centres in, in the far-reached places are Māori, but also some ladies who have been involved with netball for a very long time. So I, I do feel within, within our organisation, we've got a great percentage, if I say a percentage of, of Māori, not only Māori athletes, but also Māori um, head coaches as well. I Coming through when I was playing, I did play Māori netball and somebody did ask me maybe about three or four oh, months ago, do I feel that... Māori netball should be part of the Netball World Cup and maybe I might not have been uh, liked at that moment but when I did come through um, we had a fantastic once again a fantastic time while we were there and there were some amazing players but also you know putting myself out there that wasn't quite I suppose you know when you talk about time management or you talk about not high performance, but having elite athletes and working discipline and those sort of things. And not that we were a Māori time, but we we def definitely weren't strong in that aspect. And, and that's what you need to be a high performance athlete. You need the love on one end, but you also need the tough love and the science around the sport. Um, and obviously that wasn't an area that we that was part of, I suppose, the, the take or the, um, the philosophies at the time. I still believe that. I still believe Māori netball, if we need to, if we have a team and the Netball World Cup needs to definitely improve in that aspect. But we know that we've got enough kids or we've got some really good people that are coming underneath and the levels underneath are, are very strong. So I suppose how we can integrate that or combine that together. I think it's quite interesting when we look at other sports once again, and I'm not going to go on, but, you know, I, d I don't believe other sports are probably at the level that netball is, if I'm going to be honest, in regards to the distrib fair distribution of, of Māori athletes and also Māori head coaches in, in critical roles. So I, th I suppose that's one thing that they have to think about and, and how, how strong they want that to be from the top down. You know, we, we're getting there with a netball New Zealand, still a lot of way to go, but I know definitely not about, not about the words, 
I, I would like to think it's how, how we do our stuff and even what I've explained just recently in regards to, I think the culture of the silver ferns, how we act, how we behave and they're taken on tikanga Māori and also whanaungatanga and all those sort of things that actually mean a lot to me. So that's distributed within our, within our team culture and obviously how we talk uh, within um, is strong on tikanga Māori values. Mm. I would agree from my brief time of observing netball with a bit more intent recently that I think uh, netball is doing a pretty good job of getting that inclusion there. I've I've got a, a bit of a fun question to finish off here, Knowles, if that's all right. How many games or what sort of percentage do we need to win this year before Much and I can come sit in and on, on a Ferns training? Question. Very oh, good question. God. <laughs> Well, you don't have to actually win any percentages, all I say. One of the things that we do have, well, one, we won't be in Dunedin, so I don't, I'm not too sure if you have to get in, the, in a plane and, and um, fly up. But one of the things, once again, that I'm pretty proud of is, is a lot of our training sessions are open. There's only minimal times where we do close off, and it's just because we need to close off and sort our, sort our stuff out. So um, it's not good to have public in the training when I'm yelling and screaming at them. But, you know, Kerry, there's a lot of people that you can actually go through to Netball New Zealand and we welcome people into our environment. I think it's a cool thing, but once again, it makes sure that our players remain grounded and that we live to what we say. And really, we should be a product of the people. So we will welcome you with open arms whenever you want to come up the, the highway and definitely you're welcome anytime. I'll just say now, Cam, take the shoes off before yeah. you go in the house. That's all <laughs> I'll say now. Get that out the way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, don't you worry. Yeah, no sliders indoors, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was that was really awesome. I th I think that's all the questions that we've got, Nolene. Thank you so much for your time. We've really really appreciated it. We've taken a lot out of um we've taken a lot out of the session, and uh, look forward to uh, following the ferns throughout the rest of the year, and of course into a big year next year as well. So um, namhi kia koe, uh, Nols, and thank you for your time. This really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks oh, well, very much. Thank you. I'm going to, well, if I can say thanks to you two as well, you know, like putting your hand up actually to coach a team in a sport that you haven't probably had limited knowledge about or not that you're, you're scared or anything, but I think it's so courageous. I think when I look at some of our coaches coming through and also our kids and, and rangatahi as well, and you know, to have coaches that are willing to spend time with them, but also part your knowledge, knowing that you may not know a lot about a netball at all, once again, is amazing. So, you know, I, I think it's such an influential position. And even though uh, things may go well or not well for you guys during the season, you can, you're already winners, man. And, and your team, depending as to how they go, are winners as well. So, I, I think it's a I think it's a brave thing, courageous, but also yeah, two clicks up. I think it's amazing. It's so good. So congratulations to you guys, and I've I've really enjoyed the interview as well. Thank you. Oh, Kelda Knowles, Jeepers, that was don't make me emotional, man. This is this is our show. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that, man. Oh, that was amazing. That was so so good. You're listening to the Center Pass podcast. Well, there we go. That was so insightful and so exciting to listen to 
you know, Nolene talk about things like culture and stuff like that. And I, for me, as I alluded to earlier, she had this really different take on culture that, you know, I hadn't really thought of. And, you know, she looked at this big picture, which um, I learned a lot from there. And the other thing that I really enjoyed is she's invited us to a training, which is really cool. Yes. Time to suit up and make sure that we put the center pass podcast front and center at the next silver ferns training. Uh, but no, on a serious note, Nolene uh, Knowles, uh, thanks so much for, for taking time. She was outstanding, wasn't she? And like you've touched on, really, really important points on culture, things that we're definitely going to be taking on board, and we hope uh, you guys do as well. Yeah, she's a real character, and I really enjoyed that. Thank you very much. Okay, so the next thing we want to talk about, obviously, is trials. So I'm going to set the scene a little bit. Do it. Well, you know, a little over a week ago, we started trials. Uh, I believe it was Thursday, and then we had a trial on Saturday, and then we had a trial Thursday just gone. Now, unfortunately, Machu and I were isolating uh, right, during yeah. the, the period of the first two trials due to me uh, catching COVID. But thankfully to our lovely club and committee who set up uh, the availability for us to virtually zoom in, and yeah. we, could watch, we could watch trials from a bird's eye view from someone's laptop, which we zoomed into, we put it on our big screen at home to blow it up a bit, bit easier for us to see, and we took it in that way. It was certainly a really different experience, though, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was hard because you know you can only see one view. You can only look one way. You can't watch. You can't get glances down towards a shooting circle, for example. So it was quite difficult for us to try and measure quite a few things that are important to us from that viewpoint. But I, I must stress again how grateful we were that they did jump on board and allow us to take part virtually and to be there in some sense and being able to help with selections in some sense as well. Yeah, and I think we, I mean, we actually, I felt like we adapted very well to it. And then we were very lucky because the fact that we had the third trial, so we were able to attend one in person. Now I'd like to set the scene. Yeah, we've been in isolation for a full week. Came out on Wednesday. I had a very big day Thursday, and I think when we throw to this little uh, infield footage, you can hear that in my voice, can't you? Yeah, mate, you sounded horrific. Um, but no, 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 you didn't sound that bad. I think it was just a case of, for me, it was just about being overwhelmed with what we were about to walk into, let alone what we were preparing for. But I think I think you handled it well, and you, you didn't sound as bad as you think you did. Oh, well, I guess you guys out there can make a decision for yourself. All right, it's, th it's Thursday. Cam and I are... Getting ready to go in, mate. How are you feeling? You got everything ready? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I'm just fresh off work, so I'm just taking a few moments to gather myself. Both a bit flustered here, but here we go. We're about to enter as coaches. Let's go. Right, so I, I mean, I do think I sound pretty tired there coming off a long, long sort of day there. But let's skip straight into the trials here because I don't think I improve at all. Like, I, I think I sound even more frazzled by the time we get into the trials here. What are your thoughts? Oh, mate, oh, yeah, to be fair, listen to the end of the clip and you'll know exactly what we're talking about. Just just play the clip. All right. All right, mate, we are halfway through the last game for senior trials. Lots of movement, lots going on, mate. How are you feeling? Well, yeah, just starting to get a little overwhelmed here, trying to keep track of everything, okay? Another strong intercept there from Goldie, but yeah, there's, there's a, lot, a lot of people to look at, a lot of faces to look at, a lot of comms to listen for it's there's a lot going on isn't there 
This certainly is not true. It's, uh, I think it's time to get back to work, isn't it? Yeah, okay. I've told you off, haven't I? Mate, I felt, I felt so bad. I felt like I had, I don't know, spoken out of turn or used someone's name in vain. But it was funny. I think it was. I think it was enough of a sign that. Yep, you've probably had a big day. You've had seven days of isolation with me. You thought you'd got rid of me, and then all of a sudden we're in the same room, and I'm just asking pesky questions. So, look, I'm not going to apologise. I'm not going to apologise for that either, because uh, I think it worked out okay. I, I don't think you need to apologise, mate. Like I, I feel like I probably needed to be apologies. I did sort of snap at you there, but I was a little bit overwhelmed because, <laughs> like, as I think we might have spoken about, you know in-person trial it was a lot different there was a lot more to take in in terms of skills and stuff like that you could hear the comms and stuff yeah so you know there's a lot more to go on and and it was just getting a little bit too much for me at the time there it was a long day i think it you know at one point i i got completely taken away had to do a little bit of physio work and came back we needed to rely on you know what you saw there a little bit because i came back and i was completely lost at that point there and so, boy was that not the biggest waste of time trying to rely on my notes because they were awful uh but by the time we were looking at the prem trials i think we did a good enough job and i think we definitely added enough to the conversations that came afterwards yeah so you know trials had just finished there the the players have picked up long gone home probably by now and then the, the real work began for us really and oh, so yeah. we popped off home well not home we popped off to andrea's home who had provided us the pizzas beautiful home by the way yeah it was lovely and then and then the real work began we went through player by player team by team started you know picking squads choosing who we wanted choosing you know we were a little bit further down the line so we had to sort of wait to see who we could choose from but we got a lot of the players we wanted which was really exciting as well yeah a lot of back and forth wasn't there in terms of players we thought could be useful for our team, players they thought would be useful for our team. Overall, I think we struck a really, really good balance in the end. Yeah, so I can't remember exactly the timings. Obviously, trials, we sort of showed up 6.40, 10-ish o'clock. We had finished up and we uh, you know, back with the rest of the club discussing it. And it, it went on for a, a certainly long period there. It was a very long stint. Yeah, what, what time did we finish, Ken? Well, it's 12.30 at night. We've just got home. Trials meeting all done and dusted. Yeah. Teams listed. Named. No, not named. Teams listed. You know, potential movements listed as well. Hopefully, all things locked in. Bit of a long one. How you feeling? Yeah, pretty, um, pretty grueling, wasn't it, really? I think we started, we had to be there about 20 to 7, so about 6.30, 6.40. So it's about almost six hours that we've had today. It was really good to be there in person though, because we've obviously done a couple virtually, and so you soak up a lot more of the atmosphere, and it's a lot easier, of course, to to measure performance with things like expressions on players' faces. You can actually see if they're gassed or not as well. So it was quite, it was so useful being there. But yeah, by the sixth or seventh game, it got quite, got quite a lot, quite enough. So yeah, I probably ran out of ticker there towards the end. But it was, it was again really priceless experience for us, I think, moving forward as well. Well, that is a wrap on trials for this year, and you know it is nice to have it behind us, and I look forward to the next step for us. Good time. Right, so obviously we, we're going on a little bit here, so we'll get into the feedback and start to close up. I've got the one of the first questions we have here from um, Beth. 
She wants to know if we've decided on our coaching structure that we alluded about to yet for the year. Yeah, well, it's a good question. Beth, thank you for your question. And of course, if you do have any questions, you can uh, send them to us at centre.pass.nz at gmail.com. You can also send it to centrepassnz on our socials. Uh, but yes, and to answer your question, it's taken a while, but we do now finally have a coaching structure camp. Yeah, exactly. So we've decided that we're going to go attack and defense. I'm going to lead the attack. And I'm going to lead the defense. Really, it's as simple as that. We're going to co-coach. We're not going to go head coach, you know, assistant. We're going to go attack defense. I've got a question here, Cam, if I can jump in. It mm-hmm. comes from um, Rola Rosa on Instagram. Uh, she's asked, what are your thoughts on netball being a, quote, game for girls, unquote? Well, uh, so referring to the serious questions now. Yeah, thank you for that question, uh, Rosa. Great question. Yeah, it is a really good question. Now, I, obviously, netball has been a typically you know female sport in terms of competitive level and you know World Cups, etc. There hasn't been a outfit for men to do that, but over the last, especially the last few years, there's been quite a growing in men's sport, uh, men's netball. Sorry, uh, that has been quite cool to see. But um, you know, certainly. You know, any sport or activity is a, a sport for all, whether it's netball or, or rugby or anything like that. It's it's open for anyone to really play. And we need to keep working on making sport more accessible, really. Yeah, I think you're right. But particularly with men's netball, the club scene is starting to grow quite a lot as well. So it's not just opportunities that you're seeing uh, on television. It's now available at a grassroots level, which is uh, very exciting too. And that can only be a good thing for trying to diversify the sport and also just diversify you know actually more of what you've said cam in terms of it's another sport for people to play whether you are male female other sort of areas great question great answer it was interesting because we've actually been asked to to potentially play some competitive men's netball this year but uh, it's just going to be in the too hard basket for us because we've got a lot on our plates unfortunately yeah, exactly. And that maybe has contributed to the next question, which has come through from at says McD uh, on Instagram. She asks, who has the worst sleeping pattern, Cam? I, I don't think any of, our, any of us t- are worse than the other one. I'm, be probably, tight. I'm probably worse on certain days because I'm a very big consumer of sports that happen uh, in other countries, unfortunately. So golf and Formula One, which means that I'm up at many odd hours of the night to consume, you know, Formula One race. You know, the Masters is coming up. So if Tiger Woods is playing, I will be up watching just about every ball he hits. Oh, boy. Uh, No, for me, uh, yeah, I think up until reasonably recently, I would put my hand up and say I'm the worst. You know, I go to bed reasonably late. Midnight, 1am is no, it's not unfamiliar for me. But for me, I've tried to really rein that back in. I've actually told Cam as an element of accountability that I'm going to be at every night at 11. I, I quite enjoy the little piece of keeping you accountable. If it hits, you know, 10.50, I start getting the timer out and looking at you like, mate, you got to go to bed now. And the level and the level of disappointment you have in your voice when it's 11.01 is unfair, frankly, for my first week. But never mind. We move on. Let's yeah, move on. Let's, let's move on, mate. Thank you all for your, your feedback and keep throwing it at us. Keep getting in contact with us. Look, we are very much closing in on the end of this episode. I'd like to say that the next episode, we're going to tease, well, not going to tease, we're going to release our team. So we're going to get the, the, 
you know the names of the players out and we would have probably been possibly through our first training or so by the end and we've got another stellar guest lined up for the next episode hopefully which is an area of you know sport and high performance sport that i'm really passionate about which is sort of mental skills training so i'm really looking forward to that i think that's all for us from now may yeah up until now our podcast has basically been about our coaching journey next episode is going to be very much centered on some of the players and then how we can help them build it's about building our team now it's not just about us as coaches yeah and so you know thank you all for listening if you're listening all the way to the end here thank you so much for listening if you've enjoyed what you listen to and this is the first episode you listen to make sure you go back and listen to the others you can really see the development that comes through but bye for now okay there. Thanks for listening to Centre Pass. Check out Centre underscore Pass underscore NZ on social media and on Spotify for more.